ends well boxing. Well, come on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to find a link for all the previous episodes on any platform or if you'd just like to keep an eye on our social media, you'll find all of that and more in today's show notes. You're welcome on in indeed. Episode 168. As we're almost halfway through the year. Almost out of lockdown. When you think back to this time last year... We were facing into a pandemic, a dilemma, panic, all sorts of chaos. We didn't know what was coming and I said it here then and I repeat it again now. Stick together, keep the heads up, stay positive, we'll get through it together. And we're, we're not far off it, we're not far off it. However you are, wherever you are, I promise you, come with us for this one. Follow us on down into Podcastville. You will most definitely feel energised, inspired, motivated and happy. Violent gentlemen. When you dare to be original in life, in work, sport, or, or whatever it is you do. In essence, you, you're daring to be you. You're showing everybody and anybody, every day, this is who I am. And for some, that's daunting. It's a pretty scary proposition, especially in these crazy modern times that we're living in, where a lot of the time, it's almost like a minion competition or a, a lemmings. Or I follow me, let's everybody be the same. A lot of people, I believe, don't really know who they are at all. Struggle to discover themselves, get lost, and, and, and end up being a little bit of this and a little bit of that without ever really knowing what. But there are people that being themselves comes natural, to whom the thought of mimicking or trying to be anybody or anything else, it's just, it's, it's, it's not just alien, it's impossible. And that's not to say that you wouldn't want to watch or learn others or our peers. Because that's not true. It's, it's, it's vital that when we're, pre- when we're preparing, when we're aspiring to be better and be the best, that we take little bits in a fighting sense of what the best did and what the greatest did. Can't copy everything they do because it's not possible. So if you take the little bits, tweak them, adapt them into your own style and try and make something unique and better again. The greats, They'll always be great. They'll always be there. 300, 400 years from now, people will still be talking about Ali, Fraser, Sugar Ray, Tyson, all of those names and the rest. They'll always be great. The lady you're going to hear in a few minutes' time, Maureen Shea, epitomises all of this and more. Indeed, in her early formative years, she waged and raged an internal battle to discover who she is, what she is, where her place is. She battled almost to discover her why. Yeah, I was that kid. Like, I wasn't crazy. I just had all this energy. Feeling un- feeling out of place, feeling at times unwanted, feeling just general overall sense that she did not fit in. I guess growing up for me was, was always feeling like I didn't belong. Some of what you're going to hear in the background is Billy Joel. An interview comes to mind that I listened to not long before I started the podcast as I've said here many is a time before I spent a lot of time listening to different styles looking at different style interviewers interviews how it can be done how it is being done and what way possibly I could go again looking at the best trying to take little bits blend it with what I had in my own head still happening it's still happening but one of the very very best that I heard was of course with the great radio presenter shall I say Howard Stern 
did with Billy Joel. It's quite relevant when we speak of Maureen and fighters in general, but some fighters need to be coached. Some fighters express. Some fighters are creative. Everything they'll do in their everyday life and their everyday world is creative. And I believe, I believe that's what I take from speaking with Maureen and from, from what I've got to know of her. And many people, not everybody is creative. Not everybody has that creative in them. It's something that has to be worked on. And it's something that when you do work on it and spend time at it, whatever it may be, got to invest in it. Having watched Canelo at the weekend and having watched him a lot, having watched the true greats like Joe Lewis, like Muhammad Ali, like Sugar Ray Robinson, when you watch these guys, I often say, and it sounds like a cliche, but I often say it's like they're watching it at 50% speed. They're able to see what's going to ha- what's happening at a, at a slower pace than everybody else, which allows them then to adapt, adjust, evade, and do what they've got to do. It's the creative. It's what makes them so much different from, from everybody else. And I thought of this interview with Billy Joel because it explains how, he explains how every day, every single day he wakes, he's a melody in his head. Just constant. And for you or me, it might be ABC or it might be an, a- an earworm of an ad that you hear on the radio or something like that. But have a listen to this. Do you always have a tune in your head? Is it because I've seen you walk into a room and you start snapping your fingers and you listen for the acoustics and all of a sudden, is there always some sort of song in your head? Like, do you, is there an original song in your head right now that you can't shake? Yeah. There is? Yeah. How it, long has that been rattling around in there? A little, a little while. Um, it's, I, I call it the inner radio. Right. So it's something I don't have. Like I'm writing this music that doesn't have words. Right. A lot of times, writing the words would stop me from writing more music mm-hmm. because it ruins the moment. Right. Like when you were playing the Summer Highland Fall stuff. Right. Like having to write the lyrics almost a drag, isn't it? It's sometimes for me, it's like painting a mustache on my own already finished <laughs> painting. Right. Because Summer Highland Fall, the music itself. For me, it's it's beautiful. And then to go back, you're like, okay, I guess this is the part of the business I don't like so much. I got to come up with a lyric. No, it's not that I don't like that. It's for me, I I I hear music as a complete thing on its own without lyrics when you heard a song on the radio when you were a kid on a car radio a little six inch speaker and it was like a a Rolling Stones song. You didn't know what the words were. No, I didn't when care. When I started in my car, I bought us on the radio, <laughs> sitting in the nuts and then you, and Right. You go, what I are the words? I didn't care. You didn't know what the words were. You make up your own dirty words. That's right. Okay. So that's how I write music. At first, I hear the music, and I'm hearing like a rhythm and like a sound of a voice or a production technique, but not literal words yet. So what is the music in your head right now? The, the tune that keeps going around because I'll probably take this and Eddie, I'll have a hit. I need a hit song. It. Yeah, I'll, yeah l- Let me <laughs> well, hear. It's, the, it's not a pop type of tune. Though. I don't it's care just, though. What is in your head? It's like an anthem. Uh, an anthem. A big moment.
That is beautiful. Not much more to say than that. Incredible. A little bit of background on Maureen Shea as we go into the interview here with her now. A wonderful conversation I had with her for almost 90 minutes a little over a week ago. She's born to a Mexican mum and an Irish dad. She grew up in Brooklyn. She went to an all-girls Catholic school run by the nuns who weren't too keen on her, as she she says early in the interview. Uh, She's a high-octane, energetic and feisty child growing up. And many, many aren't able to handle it, including brothers and cousins and other friends and pals. A... She's sporting, she likes to run track, she plays a lot of different sports, she fights, she wins and loses, and she learns. And her dad is a former Marine, he's an ex-New York detective, and he's a strict disciplinarian, and he teaches her the very, very hard but essential rules for life and discipline that I happen to believe are sadly missing an awful lot in today's world with today's kids but as I said there's so many layers to Maureen's story there's I try not to I don't force them I try to let the conversation guide let it flow I don't want it to be all about the film I don't want it to be all about the boxing I don't want it to be all about her troubles and strifes I don't want it I hope I think you're going to enjoy this as much as I enjoy doing I've listened to it twice to let Maureen tell the rest of it it was interesting. I just, you know, it's funny. My mom sent me a video. Uh, my aunt actually sent me a video of me as a little girl, and I'm and I, and I can see the energy that I had. And it was I had to be like I don't know, like five or six. And my little my cousin Adam was. It was my father's uh, younger brother's son. He it was his birthday, and then he had opening presents. And I'm like, come on, Adam, open it. And I hear my my voice as a little girl. But there's so much energy. I could even see it just in my voice and in my actions in the video. You know, my, my energy growing up, I just always had a lot of energy. And growing up in a place like New York that is definitely electrifying, definitely very high energy, you almost feed off that as well. So you can only imagine how much energy I really had already, plus being from New York. It was just very different. Back then in the 80s, you know, growing up and knowing your neighbors, I mean, I had friends on the block. Like we would go out yeah. and play in the street. And I mean, things are obviously very different today, but I have, I love those memories. I love that I'm a, I'm a early eighties baby and my father was very old school and you know, we didn't have Nintendo. We didn't have cable. My dad was like, you want cable? Go get a job and pay for it. I don't need that junk in this house. You have to go out and play. And I'm so glad that he did that. You know, he was always about being outside, always about family, always about having everybody over and, and, um, celebrating whatever we had communions together with my cousins, confirmations, like we all shared everything. And, and I love that. You know, I love remembering that and having those, those memories. And even with my family, a lot of people couldn't handle my energy. You know, my mom goes back and telling a story where a friend of hers with her daughter were walking um, on the same block as us. And they actually, she's like, they actually crossed the street because I don't think that the mother wanted the little girl to play with you. And I'm like, and I remember, yeah, I, I'm not like mad. I'm still friends with the girl today. But yeah, I was that kid where they were like, oh, she's like, I wasn't crazy. I just had all this energy. Yeah. And I guess I was always like a leader. Or I just was me and I would rile everybody up, not to fight, just to energy, you know? And I think even even in my workplace now, I mean, I know people like my energy. Obviously, it's a more focused energy now. But back then, you're a kid, you don't know. It's emotions. It's it's curiosity. It's, um, you know, a little bit of, of being, um, you know, a little bit like, uh, what's the word? Um, defiant. There was some defiant energy I had, you know, um, figuring things out. So I guess growing up for me was, was always feeling like I didn't belong. You know, I always felt like an outsider. I really did. And, um, I think, you know, boxing helped me to not really care about that. Cause it was more about me. 
than, than anything else. And, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, and, you know, growing up, you just, I was friends with everybody. I wasn't like a click person. Like even in high school, when I went mm-hmm. to an old girl Catholic school, I was friends with everybody. I can't say that I only hung out with one group, you know, and then I ended up getting kicked out of the school. You know, the nuns didn't like me. They weren't going to get away with bullying you. You'd got too much energy yeah. for them. So penguins don't like that kind of energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they were just like, hey, listen, I wasn't perfect, but yeah. I mean, I got student of the month the same year I got kicked out. So how does that happen? That's the beautiful contradiction, isn't it? That's what makes you yeah. you. But all those years later, that energy and that vibrance, I suppose, was going to be channeled and it was going to make you what you became. But I can relate to a lot of those points. Grew up with a lot of those yeah. ideas. There was a lot of stuff that I found out recently that I, I can tell you at another time that fill, feed into all of that. But with those insecurities, not insecurities, but feelings that you don't fit in, did you then counter those with a almost contradicting yourself and, and trying to convince yourself that you're wrong or did you just did you sit in those feelings? I think I was so confused. I just thought that I was bad. I thought that I was bad because I didn't fit in and I was like, well, maybe I'm bad. You know, and listen, my dad was super disciplined. You know, he's a disciplinarian. You know, I just thought like, you know, I didn't fit in. I wasn't ever, I just felt like I was never good. Maybe I, I, I created this, this mentality that I wasn't good enough. That's why I didn't fit in. So I thought I was bad. So I said, well, I'm going to do bad things. And I grew up, I mean, I did some, I mean, you know, I did drugs. I mean, I thank God I was never addicted, but I did drugs. I, I was definitely a risk taker. I hung out in the street. I, I did things I shouldn't have done that I'm not proud of. But I got to say that I learned so much trying to find my way. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't go down that road. I was heading down that road, but I didn't just drop off and fall off the cliff. You know, I was able to find my way back and heal. You know, these are this. I wasn't raised like that, and that's why I try to tell people. I'm like, it's not about being raised. My father never hit my mother. Like, I never saw the violence in the house. My dad was a disciplinarian, but so was my uh, my. You know, a lot of my cousins went through with what I went through, but me, I think a little bit more because I was so, um, you know, emotionally like charged, and I was very reactive. And I think my dad also, you know, didn't know how to deal with that. And I think the fact that he was raised by three brothers with, with three brothers and never having a girl, he did his best. And my mom was raised with only girls, but my mom is definitely more of a, of a quieter, like a more of an introverted, um, you know, peacemaker. And my dad was definitely more of the disciplinarian. So I think the combination of the two, I knew that doing the bad things wasn't good, but I just didn't really know. I didn't have to find myself. I think it's important as well to highlight from the jump as well. A lot of some people may have listened or seen your interview with Kieran, which was amazing. Your dad, he's Irish. He was your Great your mom then, of course, yeah. was Mexican. So we've got a, an yes. incredible sense community, as you, which is what you've oh, touched yeah. on. It's all about family growing up in gr- groups and yep. and hanging out together. And then they're passionate and they're explosive at the same time as well. So yep. you've got a dangerous combination there, haven't you? Yep. Well, it was funny because I didn't grow up with boxing. Being from a Mexican-Irish household, you'd think that boxing was somewhere in there. Funny, my mom, my my grandfather, my mother's father, who I never met, he passed before I was born. My mom used to – she remembered watching the fights with my my grandfather. And then my my dad also watching the fights with his father. But he – I have a video of him talking about mixed martial arts. He doesn't like MMA because he feels like you never punch a man when he's down. That's a coward's move. And he said, that's – I don't like that MMA. Boxing, that's different, you know, but there's a science to that. But he – just does not like MMA. And it's funny how I found the video when I was listening to it. And that's my dad, very opinionated. Props and, to him. And I, yeah. And that's where I get it from. And I, I totally, I get it. You know, um, my dad wasn't into bodybuilding. He didn't understand why men had to go do bodybuilding. He just, he was a man's man. You yeah. know what I mean? A very old school, you know, I mean, he's a very strong man, but I never saw him play sports. 
Um, he boxed in the in the military, but he said he wasn't very good at it. I never knew. My brother, ironically, was a bodybuilder, <laughs> which my father would totally make fun of him. And um, I would say he's an athlete. Yeah, you know, I, so I think as well from what you're saying is as well, and and what I want to touch, uh, he was ex former military, and then he was a, a detective as well, isn't he in New York? Yes, so so yes. he yep. had very very strong convictions, very strong morals, very strong. Oh yeah, he stood for something, and even if it didn't, oh yeah, even if it wasn't on the sporting field or sporting. He had a very, a very definite sense of right and wrong, and and what way he wanted. Oh, yeah. And in those times, I, I just did an episode recently on where Katie and her very first fight and the struggle she had here, and that's only that's barely twenty years ago. So yeah, uh, to to think then that his little girl was going to go mm-hmm. in a boxing ring and mix it, yep. wouldn't it? Wouldn't not even it wasn't just in New York. It was all over the world at those that stage. I think wasn't it? I remember when he found out that I was boxing. When I told them finally. My father said, in this house, you have to work and go to school. You can't do all three. And I said, okay, well, watch me. So for the first, like, I don't know how many years, I, I boxed to prove my dad wrong. I didn't box because I, I mean, I think I lo- I liked it, but I liked it more because I had to prove him wrong. Listen, I'm my father's daughter. Yeah. Him and I, I am exactly like him. And I used to tell him that. I'm like, you may, we would clash. They would sit us together at dinners to watch us fight because they were just like, you know, they, we would just go, they just laugh. We'd kick each other under the table. I mean, it was, it was a lot. My mom and my brother were very similar. They still are. You know, but my father, you know, I know that he's very proud of me. And he always said to me, he's like, man, I'm glad you didn't listen to me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you, did, you did all right, you know? And I'm like, no. This sounds like a cliche. And with age comes wisdom. And over that uh, time as well, I'm sure from his point of view, he would have mellowed a little bit. He would have realized, look, she's not like everybody else. She's different. And then at some point he'll click, shit, I might be looking in a mirror here. So he might say then, you know, yes. and, and likewise with you, it, it comes back a little bit. Yeah. And I see it like I even see like even with the younger girls in boxing, I know things. I have more time on this earth than them. Of course, I know more. I'm not saying that I'm better than them or anything like that, but I do have some insight from a different perspective because of my experience. You can't learn experience. You can't rush that. And it comes with failing and falling and hurting and breaking and things not going according to plan over and over and over again. I, li- I looked at of an course. amazing documentary the other day with Frank Shamrock and man, oh, man, yeah. what yep. a story. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. I knew some of that already, but some of my biggest lessons and my biggest learnings have come when, when it fails, when you think everything is just not going to work, it's just not happening. Somewhere along the line, if, if you keep that mindset, if you keep trying to look for the positive, somewhere along the line, out of nowhere, you'll find it. You know, something that Lu- Luigi always instilled in me, like I remember I was always, I was a very defensive growing up and I was always very, def- well, I was more defensive, I think in boxing. I didn't understand a lot of things and I would get mad and, and he's like, Maureen, who cares? I'm like, what do you mean who cares? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, because I always felt like I had to fight, you know, and growing up in the Bronx, yeah, you had to earn your respect and you had to give demand your respect too. I mean, I got into fights in the street and, you know, and if you didn't stand your ground with somebody, they were going to come find you at some point. So you had to fight, you know, and, and I had to like, you know, stand my ground and who I was, but there were things that I could, I could, you know, demand my respect. There's things that I had to learn not to care. And I think in boxing, I felt like I had to defend myself to everybody. I didn't, I didn't get as much support as I would have appreciated. And Luigi would always say, Maureen, who cares? Yeah. Let them be what they want. And, and I said that the other day, my little fellow was, he was having trouble in school and, and I was trying to explain to him, you have to just not care. And, and then I went away and I was trying to think, how do I teach him not to, but you can't physically teach that thing to somebody. You've got to learn. And that has something that comes with time. So Luigi is a hundred percent right. And I'm like that now. There's very little anybody can say that can insult or offend me, but it took a lot of learning. It took a lot of knocks before you do. The boxing story, not to assume anybody knows, is where you met Luigi, which has been one of your lifelong compadres. Did boxing find you or did you find boxing? Man, that's a great question. I always feel God gave me boxing. Um, it was, it was so weird because like I went to the gym 
to work out, like to lift weights. And listen, that comes with, uh, you know, I, when I was growing up, my brother would go to the gym and lift weights with my mother. There was a local gym in the Bronx called Butch's Gym. And it was like a, like a, it was like a, you know, a meathead gym, you know, for lack of a better, better explanation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a gold gym. It was called Butch's Gym. It was like a mom and pop gym, but all these, like it was dirty. It was gross. You'd probably get tetanus, but... That's what they like to do. You know, so my mom would actually go with my brother because my mom liked to work out and she spent time with him. And, um, you know, he was getting ready for competitions, whether it's bodybuilding or whatever. And, um, you know, I always loved lifting weights. I always wanted to have that cut in my bicep that my brother had. And so I went to the gym to better myself for my abusive boyfriend. I thought, well, maybe if I looked better, maybe he would be nicer to me, you know. So I, I started doing that and I walked into the back and there was a boxing ring. And that's really where I was like, oh, but see, I don't know if you read it, but I had found boxing when I was 15 years old by accident when I was at a friend's house and his dad flew over to watch the fight. So I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I was at a friend's house in upstate New York and we were all in the kitchen hanging out and his father had a, a fight party and all of a sudden there was like an uproar in the living room and then we went in and I remember sitting in this like futon thing and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, that guy just bite that guy's ear and spit it on the floor and like, the commentators were going crazy and the referee was going crazy and it was Mills Lane. And I was like, this is insane. I'm like, what is this? And I just connected with that emotion because again, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt super emotional. I felt like these sense of like a controlled rage that I, or uncontrollable rage where I was super reactive and defensive. And I was like, oh man, this is crazy. And then, you know, I heard about Mike Tyson and like rap songs and things like that. And, you know, because he was married to Robin Givens and all these things, but nothing like I didn't really explore the sport. It was more the person. And um, then when I went to the box, when I walked into the back of the gym, I was like, oh, I remember this. Like, I remember seeing that ring and I remember this. And, mm. you know, and then one of the coaches came up to me and asked me if I wanted to try and he spoke Spanish. So I spoke Spanish back. I think that was what caused interest to Willie, the coach, than anything else was that I spoke Spanish. And then he's like, okay, I could train her. So I started working with him. I love the sport because it was so, I was able to hit things and not get in trouble for it. And I was, I mean, I, listen, I was, I was violent when I was a kid. When I got mad, I would break things in the house. I was very reactive. My father was like, you know, he'd lock me in my room. I slammed the door one time. My father took the door off the hinges. Now you're not, you're not going to have a door. So as you're hearing, some of the very many early challenges of a young Maureen Shea came from within as she struggled to find her identity, struggled to fit in. At times, it sounds like she was battling herself. Now you would imagine that's enough challenges for any young woman to be dealing with. Maureen also encountered domestic abuse, which you'll hear her talk candidly about, and indeed it left its mark. And many experts, better placed than I, would suggest perhaps that was what led to her eating disorders, her low self-esteem and bouts of self-sabotage over the years that could and very probably would have beaten most others. But as I said at the top of the hour, this is no ordinary lady. This is a, this is an extraordinary person who finds extraordinary resolve and defiance to overcome any and all challenges. How quickly did it take for the, the penny to drop and say, listen, th- I've got something here. I've got whatever it is, as they call it. There's something a little bit more than, it, than it's a hobby or a pastime. It, things seemed to oh, start moving fairly quickly, didn't they? I never knew. I'm going to tell you right now. I had no idea. It was Luigi. It was all <laughs> Luigi. I'm not even kidding. All your I can't fault, t- man. It's all your it's, fault. I, it really is. But like, I really can't take any credit for it because, I mean, even times where I wanted to quit, when I was going through depression or whatever, I was on medication, Luigi was like, he was just still there. He just didn't, he's like, Maureen, it's okay. If you don't want to fight, it's okay. But part of me wanted to fight, but I just knew I couldn't because I was dealing with so much, you know, and he was there. 
he was there through all of it. And no matter what, and I think he's the one that saw, he said, okay, you fought amateur. We got you the experience. We the best experiences we could get in the time. And now you did million dollar baby. Now it's time to go pro. So he went from being uh, my ma- my trainer to assistant trainer to, with Hector to becoming my manager. And I said, okay, what's next? Like I always asked what was next. And I trusted Luigi so much, even to this day. I, I don't have a contract with him. I don't have a managerial contract with him, you know, because I, I just like, I trust him. And I'm like, no, I know he knows, he knows me better than anybody, really any better than anybody. And even my mom and my dad, he knew me as a fighter, as a person, as everything. And I'm just like, all right, now, listen, I don't agree with him sometimes, but we can talk it out. And I'm like, I know when to sit back and say, you know what? You got to trust him on this. All the really top guys, whether we're looking at Joe Fraser, Ali, Wayne himself had Eddie Futch. We're looking at uh-huh. Tyson had Cuss. So in many ways, Luigi was that, that big influence on your career that at times when you couldn't see the light through the trees, he was able to guide you through it. And uh, now 100%. it's opened up a little bit. And then there's times where I'm just like, Lou, I'm, I'm, I need this. Like, I'm not okay with this and I'm really not. And I'll tell you why. And then he listens to me now because I've matured. I've grown up. He was dealing with a crazy one-year-old who was like, I want to fight everybody. I didn't care. Men, women, you tell me I was going to fight because I just like, I just want to hit people and not get in trouble for it. Like, that's how I felt. You know, and I fought with emotion. Like, I remember in the amateurs, I would fight my opponents and I'd make up stories in my head like they did something to me or my friends or my family. And I fought with anger and I felt like, oh, like I wanted to be a killer like Tyson. And then I realized that didn't really work out for Mike Tyson. It did, but it didn't. You know, and I realized, all right, I may have to change my approach to this now because I was getting tired and. I wasn't enjoying the, the time, the moments. It was all rage, you know? But you see what you were doing there as well, probably unknown to yourself, is that it's quite common amongst fighters. They need to go to that. Some fighters need to go to that rage and need to go to that place where they actually hate their opponent just for the fight. And afterwards, then they yeah. can share it. Well, you know, it's funny because he used to call me kid. And I think until I was like 35 or 36, <laughs> he called me kid. And I finally said, Luigi, stop calling me kid. I'm not a kid anymore. And I felt like he didn't, because, you know, I knew there were times where he just would... You know, he was tough, tough love all the way. You know, he'd tell me, do not talk to me like that. You know, like I'm not, you know, and things, or if you don't want to be with me, then if you don't want to manage me and manage you, okay, it's okay. I'm not, I don't want to work with anybody who doesn't want to work with me. So you can go. And there were times where I said that to him. I'm like, well, if you don't want to work with me, I don't want to work. I threw it right back at him. Oh, we went back and forth. It wasn't like this yeah. amazing, you know, it was almost like a father-daughter relationship. But, you know, Luigi, you know, as an outsider, was able to – and my father, my parents love him very much, very, very much. And, um, you know, they'd always ask him, why do you help Maureen? And my mom would tell me – she's like, he points to his heart. Yep. And he's like, she's got heart. And, and I did – like, I, yeah, and he knew things about me that yeah. I just – I didn't see them. And he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. He was there to say, just try it. Just do it. And then I'm like, whoa, like – Wow. And, and getting me to the point where that I'm at now in my life where, you know, I'm, you know, I've been here for, for a bit of time now where I'm, I mean, I've moved. And, and he always said that, like, you know, I went from New York, from the Bronx to Brooklyn, from Brooklyn to Jersey, from Jersey to Mexico for a little while, then to California, then here to Florida. And it's been like a journey. And I, you know, I would always ask him, like, I don't know, like finding coaches. And I did that all myself. He didn't do that. It was me, you know, and, and he said, he's like, Maureen, trust yourself that Maureen went from feeling displaced frustrated angry unworthy and by her own admission resentful of discipline or authority to finding a balance an assuredness a calm but most of all found that she does belong she's not a freak and she does not deserve cruelty or harsh judgments speaks largely to the clarity that all arrived when she found boxing 
She in turn then found her compadre, her goomba, her lifelong ally and her soulmate, her manager, Luigi. And from there, the story takes off into a real-life Rocky movie. I would talk to this man. I would call him every day. Like, God bless him. God bless his wife, who... I actually, his wife, they met because, I'm not going to say because of me, but it was because of me. She <laughs> was um, she was an amateur boxer, but she also worked with my mother at a pharmaceutical company. And she, my mom told Whoa. her about me and she came to my fight. And then she was moving to, um, she was moving to um, Westchester and from Brooklyn and she was looking for a coach. Uh, she had asked me to spar with her and I asked Luigi and he came down. So we sparred each other. And then when she was moving, she said, no, I was thought I could work with Luigi. So I connected them and Luigi trained her her whole amateur career. She was a, she was a national champion, everything. And then they ended up getting married and having, now they have three beautiful children. Wow. That's a I story. Mean, you know, I, you know what? I feel like Luigi could not have married a better woman, mm. but she always, she'd say to me, Maureen, I don't know how you do it. She goes, you've reinvented yourself so many times. Like I, I admire you. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like it's, it's. And I, and I just so I'm like I don't know how you do it. You're 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 a mom. You got three kids. You're you know she was she works for a pharmaceutical. She's a scientist. She's you know she's a wife. I'm like I admire you, but it's that mutual respect yes. and yep. and she she supports his career. So that means she supports me. And yeah. she we were friends before they got together. I mean we weren't like super close, but close enough that she knew I wasn't a jerk. Close enough. She got to know. She first of all, it's the mutual love of the sport and the game. That, that oh, sometimes yeah. that causes the division. Sometimes it's a wife of a, of a pro fighter, and I don't mean this, or it can be the husband of no, a pro you're fighter, right. where they don't have any interest, love, care, nothing. They don't want to know about it. Just do your job and go home. Yeah. What people yeah. need to realize about a boxer is that there's two people, and that's what I was going yeah. to say about Luigi. Luigi, probably you said he got you more than your folks at times. Yeah, because he got you. He got more in the fighter, the fighter. And, and the that's folks right. don't know the fighter. Always at different times of preparation, they'll go to that place. It brought a special, uh, an even more special relationship, I suppose, to another level, didn't it? Oh, 100%. And even now, like, I know how much Jody is involved in Luigi's. And I'm always like, ask Jody. Like, what does Jody think? Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm going to ask Jody. I'm like, go ahead, because I trust her. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. go ahead, ask her. You know, but like, that's, and it's, it's, it's just a different dynamic, you know? Yeah, and like, I they're all this child even... almost. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, 100%. It's that very foundation that has given you the longevity and it's given you the bounce back ability or whatever way they want to call it. There's all some different sort of words on it and phrases, but ultimately it is that dura durability. That's what I feel about this current generation. And yes, boxing is on a it's on a boom right now and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. But there's a little bit of preciousness about them. There's a little bit of... Um, I looked at your early career and I'm looking at these Mexican southpaws and I'm thinking, oh man, what a way to come through. I mean, I look at, as opposed to the fight we saw two weeks ago with Shannon and Ebony. Yes, served up a great fight, but talk to me a little bit about those early days in Mexico. Yeah, it must have been grisly, yeah. grisly at times. It's like, that's the thing. And I'm like, listen, again, like with those two girls, I'm like, you know, God bless them. They're two, they're two lower level fighters fighting each other. If they fought me, it would be completely different because... They don't have the experience and the knowledge that I have and the, you know, they don't have it. So I almost feel like, okay, at least, I mean, it would be a different fight. It would be, I believe, I mean, listen, it would be tough, but there would be, I mean, I just have too much. I have too much game for both of them because they haven't lived or experienced enough uh, fights. I have to collectively, what do they have? Like 15 fights? I have over 30, I have over 30 fights. So it's like, okay. But for me, I mean, Mexico, oh man, I mean, 
I, I've gone through so many different things in Mexico. I mean, I fought a girl who was, I was ranked at like cruiserweight at one point because I fought a girl that was 170 pounds. A lot of people don't know that. They were like, what? I said, yes. Yeah. So I went to the fights and I was, I was, I was supposed to weigh in. Um, they told me the girl was going to come in a little heavy. So I was coming in at like 132. And so she was supposed to be like 138 or something. Well, I got on the scale with my clothes on and everything. And I weighed in and I was 132. And then, mind you, I don't fight at 130. I fight at 122. That's my weight. So I had all my clothes on, fully hydrated, get on the scale. Okay, 32. Then this girl comes in, and I remember it was with Haas. Joseph Janik was my coach. We call him Haas. He came in. He, he, she got on the scale, and he did the kilos like because, you know, we do pounds. And then when he calculated, he's like, wait a minute. He did it again. He looked at me. He turned the thing. It was 170 pounds. And I was like – and then they came up to me, and I'm like – I looked at him. I was like, coach, I'm fighting. I'm like, I don't care. I'm fighting. They're not, I'm like, this is, if I'm allowed, I'm fighting her. And then the commissioner came up to me and he said, listen, the girl's got experience. I've never seen her fight. You know, this is a big weight difference. I'm not going to tell you, don't let anybody pressure you to have to fight because I'm going to leave it up to you and your team. And I looked at Haas. I said, I'm fighting. So he called Luigi. Luigi was like, what? And then we talked. I said, Lou, I'm fighting. Like, if you leave, if you take me, you take me home, I'm going to be so mad. And then so... He said, okay. He goes, all right. She's that adamant about fighting. She's going to fight. So then the commissioner asked me, do you want to use eight ounce gloves or 10 ounce gloves? I said, well, put tens on her and eights on me. And he said, no, we can't do that. So I fought in 10 ounce gloves. I fought a four rounder, which was supposed to be a six against a girl that outweighed me by what? 30 pounds, (laughs) 50 pounds, 50 pounds, basically. Yeah. And, and I won. I had another fight where the rounds were changed in the middle of the fight. I was, um, I got, into the, I got into the, you know, it, it was the, it was supposed to be a six rounder, but it was the, the fourth, we're going into the fourth round and the ref in Spanish said, come out, touch gloves, last and final round. And I was like, what? I'm like, all right, well, I came back, I stepped back and I fought. And then when I came to the corner, I went to, I was like done, like come back slow and Haas, you know, again, Haas was putting the chair down. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he said that was the last round. He goes, no, you got two more. I was like, the ref said it was over and I had to fight another two rounds. And then, and then another fight I had in Mexico, I got to the corner and thank God I speak Spanish. I overheard the referee say to the judge, it's a four rounder. And I'm like, no, it's a six rounder. I didn't even have time to tell my coach in the corner that they changed it to a four rounder. So I went out and fought like it was a four rounder until I came back to the corner. I was like, it's a four rounder. I heard the ref tell the judge and he's like, oh God. And then they couldn't even open the chair in the going into the third round. The chair was rusted shut. They couldn't open it. I had to stand up. And another thing is I had my last meal at one o'clock. I got to the arena. I was the swing bout thinking there were only six bouts. Well, no, there were three, there were six televised bouts and six regular bouts. So I didn't fight till 11 o'clock at night. I fought on it. I hadn't eaten a meal since one o'clock and I fought at 11 o'clock at night to an arena that was half lights were off. I think like no fans were there. I came out to no music. The ring was ripped. I had to step on the ring to put the tape down because it was ripped. But you know what I learned? I learned to adapt. Yeah. And I learned to know how to pivot and not like, I don't, I can't be mad. I can't be like, oh, this isn't fair. I I didn't get emotional. I just went with the flow. I said, it is what it is. I'm here to fight and I'm going to win. None of that. that, That's up to now has got to the point with you. It's just, okay, we're going again. There there is no, there is no. What am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, what are my choices? I want to win. I want to win. So I'm like, but you know what? This has all led me down this road where I'm like, man, I haven't, I've overcome all of this. Mm. Nobody can beat me. I'm not, listen, I don't think I'm superhuman, but I'm like, when I go into a fight, knowing a girl hasn't been through what I've been through, 
I'm like, honey, I've been taken to some dark, dark waters. So it's going to have to, I don't think you can take me there. It's impossible because I've been to the darkest of dark, including my abusive relationship, including, uh, you know, overcoming depression, including being a compulsive reader, being 180 pounds, fighting girls, 50 pounds heavier than me. I've been through it all. So now I'm like, good, show me something I haven't seen. Yeah. I believe in myself and I believe in myself more now than I ever have before. I am working a full-time job. I am running a gym of fighters. I am the personal assistant to a phenomenally talented strength and conditioning coach. My boxing coach, I help him with his business and I'm still training. People would say to me like, you don't need to fight anymore. I'm like, I know, but I want to fight because I can. And the, what I know the best is that when it's time for me to be in camp, every coach here in this gym, they're all 100% on my team. They, they, they are like, Maureen, we're going to take your cell phone. Nobody's going to be allowed to distract you. It's your time. You know? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's, that's and that's what I need. Oh, that and the, that's the thing, you know? And I, and they, you know, I know because I care about them. I care about all of them. You know, they're very valuable to me. And I, I, I had a team meeting today and, and, it, but Phil is like that too. Phil is a heart. He's a good man. You know, Derek, the same thing. Nobody can say a bad thing about these guys. They genuinely care about their athletes. You know, Derek was a fighter. Phil was a fighter. And now they, they're coaches and they work well together. I couldn't wait till I got to, to bring them together. You know, that's why Derek, my boxing coach, brought all his fighters to Phil to do the strength and conditioning. Because Phil's a remarkable human being and he genuinely cares about the fighters. And just for anybody that's not familiar or not aware, the Phil that we're talking about is the amazing Phil Derue, who is credited without a shadow of a doubt with not just resurrecting, but adding that extra alert steel to a certain Mr. Dustin Poirier. Who Dustin is, he's a great guy. You know, I never met Connor. We actually met him in a parking lot at, at Whole Foods before he was the Connor McGregor that we all know today. And he was super humble, took a picture with my friend Alex. And I think Dee, his wife, was picking him up and that was it. I've known Dustin since 2014 and I've watched him. I've been a fan of his and watched his career throughout that time um even before he worked with phil you know and and now to see the the work and what he's done it's it's inspiring it's very inspiring you were only about 15 fights into your career you had the first fight for a title and that didn't go your way but amazingly yet again that that durability within 12 months you've had two fights two losses back to back but you come back and you win an nabf title that's that's incredible. Like that just, yeah. <laughs> again, it's something that these Ugh. younger fighters today, they almost yeah. lick their wounds for six months before they want to fight again. Oh no. I, let me tell you, I wanted the rematch with Kina and I knew why I lost. I mean, first of all, what people didn't know was that my coach wasn't in my yeah. corner. He went to Belgium with another fighter. Another reason I lost, I blew my eardrum in the fourth round. I dropped her in the first, I blew my eardrum. Plus I was fighting way out of my weight class. It was at 130 pounds. My 13th fight, you know, I didn't, I, you know, and I did so much press for that fight. She didn't have to do anything. Bob Arum gave me a platform, you know, and then, and then after that, I got hired to commentate for top rank on pay-per-view. And then I told Luigi, I want to fight again. And then the next fight, you know, it, there was a lot of things that happened in that fight that I know what went wrong. Mm. I know I didn't prepare correctly for that fight. I was sparring a southpaw boxer. That girl was an orthodox puncher. And, you know, and that's when I knew it, you know, as much as Hector Roca had given me, it was time to move. The, the relationship was no longer the same. I've always been the kind of person and Luigi would always say, okay, if something's broke, 
how can I fix it? Yeah. I can't blame everybody else. I can't change anybody else, but I can change me. We haven't touched on the million dollar everything yet because I wanted I wanted to get to the, the really juicy boxing stuff. But yeah. that's an incredible story in itself, I believe, somewhere along the line. Because I was looking over tonight just before I did my notes and everything. And I was thinking, man, that's a story. That's a book. There's chapters in that book that yes. probably will be censored, you know, incredible stuff. Yes. But Luigi has a, a, an integral part to it all the way through it. And it's, oh, it's huge. A, it's, it, and it, he trusts me. He says, you know, he always says, this morning, you're making good decisions. Keep making them. But he let me make the decisions. He never said, I did this. He's like, it's your career. You know, I can guide you and I can tell you what I think, but it's your decision. You got to make the decision. I always made the decision with the coaches that I trained with. Always. He never, he didn't. He just supported them because he's like, you're the fighter. I'm not there. Even when I was in California, you know, even when I was in Jersey, even when I was in, you know, when I, when I'm here, you know, I chose Phil DeRue. I chose Derek Santos. That was me, you know, and, and I tried Derek. I worked with Derek a couple of years back when I first worked with Phil and I, I just didn't feel, I realized that it wasn't, it, it wasn't Derek that changed. It was me. I thought I needed a coach that was more rah, rah, more aggressive, more high energy. They got to be stronger than me or louder than me. And I realized I went back to California. I got that. And I realized that's exactly what I didn't need. And then I came back to Florida and I, you know, I, I went to Derek and I was just like, you know, I said, listen, I, I know it didn't really work last time. And I went back to California, but would you consider working with me again? And Derek could have said no, you know, and he's like, yeah, let's give it a shot. I said, all right, I'll come all week. And I was in a better place. And I realized Derek didn't change. I did. And, and, and we work great together. I mean, everybody, they're like, man, you guys are seem like you've been working together for years. And we have just a great chemistry and, and a great, uh, just the work. He, he knows me. He's another one. He knows me and I trust him. I don't trust any, many. You know, when I first started working with Phil, I, I freaking questioned him, like, forget it. And he was 27 at the time. Phil was very young. He's only 32 now, but he was 27. He was at American Top Team and I went there and I wanted to talk to him and I was recommended to talk to him by another boxer that I knew. And um, I asked him a million questions. And then he asked me some questions and we started working together. And I said, wow, number one, I never knew the level of my athleticism because I never trained with any coaches that trained other elite level females. So I didn't, I didn't have a comparison. I didn't know how good I was until I worked with Phil because Phil worked with Joanna Jacek. He had done some work with Amanda Nunes. He worked with Tisha Torres. He worked with all these elite UFC fighters. And I'm like, Nan, he was like, no, you're this and you're that. He put me right up there with these top girls, which, yeah, I was at the top of my game, but I didn't know how high I was. I didn't know what my athletic ability was because I always compared myself to the men because there weren't really, really many females to compare myself to in my camps. First title fight was the WBA title fight that I that I won. Um, actually, wait, no, I, I lost. I lost the WBA world title fight in the garden on the Miguel Cotto undercard. That was for the, that was for my the one that was when I blew my eardrum. And my coach wasn't in my corner. That was WBA. Yeah, that was against Keenan, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. And then um, I had the next loss. And then I came back and I was I finally um, fought my way back to getting to fight for the NABF title, which was actually in Saratoga Springs. And you want to hear something full circle? Um, I just became partner in a tequila company with Tiafimo Lopez. No way. <laughs> yeah. And Larry, and Larry Holmes. So listen to this. So one with Life Tequila, I just became partner with Larry Holmes, Tiafimo Lopez, and Bumbo Mancini. And the founder was a woman by the name of Lisa Elevich, who was a boxing promoter who put on my first, my first, my title, my first win, my, my NABF title fight. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm just literally yeah. got goosebumps here. They, yeah. You're there on merit. You're there because you're bringing something there. I'm sure these guys have got their hands full. They're, they're not going there to push you about the place. I, Tiafimo, yep. what a... I mean, wow. Talk He's about... great. He beat my man. He broke my heart. With Loma? Yeah, I, Loma to me is... is Let me tell you. So, so you know that I'm the only female to have trained at the boxing laboratory. You, you I, did? Yes, I didn't. I trained. I I didn't. I used to do. I used to run with Lomachenko. I trained at the time with strength, with Lomachenko's strength and conditioning coach. I've been high on him from the jump, and I think it's it, it hurts me to see that, that he doesn't get the love. Another one, Amanda Nunes again. Oh, oh my yeah. god, my favorite. Well, I got two. I love Joanna, but Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. You know, by this stage of the conversation, we were almost um, over an hour. Just about here we had to pause as she set up some sparring and some training and I was privy to some information on fights that the boxing world will absolutely love to hear but won't hear it from me. With the amount of stories and details and the amount of layers to Maureen herself you may see why this interview has taken a little bit longer to edit than most if not all others. Buckle up, we're heading into the last stretch of a absolutely riveting conversation. You're living. Oh, You're just living. Are you yeah. kidding me? I'm <laughs> sitting in this office. I get, I love these guys. For for the fighter yourself, when you finally get to the summit and you finally get that belt wrapped around your waist, having had all the knocks, had all the whole life story, when you get that first one around your waist, what, what would be the immediate thoughts? And then does it dissipate or does the, does the, does the gloss ever go off it? And the NABF title, when I won that belt, I forgot that I was fighting for a title. So I have a photo I can send you where I like I just started like it's it's like you see and feel the passion in my face because I just realized I just won a title. Yeah. The WBC belt was so interesting because we were in Mexico. It was just me and Haas, my my coach, and no, I mean I didn't have any people come out there to support me because I didn't know. You know, I didn't I didn't really have anybody. My family was in Guadalajara, although they all got mad at me and said they would have gone to Sinaloa <laughs> to see me fight, but. So I was, I just, um, I remember even we had a driver. So the promoter um, gave us a driver to kind of take us where we needed to go. And he actually worked the corner with Haas because Haas needed somebody to put the stool in the corner. And so it was basically, I hate to say the cab driver, but it was the cab driver (laughs) who worked my corner with Haas. (laughs) And like this guy got to work a WBC world title fight. You know what I mean? Like in a corner, like that was just, That's and so, um, yeah. And yeah. Right. Oh, he, let me tell you though. So after that fight, like, I just felt like it was just unreal. You know what I mean? And I think that it was just like, I just still was still finding my way and figuring out who I was. And I, and it was almost surreal. Like, I don't think I felt, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but it was kind of hard to think that I deserved. Like I, mm-hmm. I won the NBA, so I got excited, but then I'm like, did I really deserve this? Cause there was still doubt. I still had doubt about myself. That haunting of my abusive relationship, it was it was there. You know, I could tell you in the Kina fight, when she hit me, I remember she hit me and there was a moment where I felt like I deserved it. It doesn't just go away. Even though the relationship is over, the restraining order has been set and they can't bother you, you're it's almost like a PTSD. You're 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 screwed up. I don't think I really healed from that until like, you know, probably like, you know, the last couple of years. You know, it, it was tough. And um I just, I, I never really felt, I think that's why I'm still here and I'm still like demanding what I, what I was rightfully mine because I feel like I, I never got to really feel what it was to uh, 100% feel like I won a world title. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And and just again, what you say there as well, it, it's almost like a PTSD. It's not almost, it is PTSD. Thankfully for boxing fans and for people, for real people, 
the champ is, is alive and well you might have been quiet for a little while and you've been out I spoke to Luigi before I got on because I was anticipating I oh, know yeah. he deals with the business side of it so he tells yep. me we're not going to have to wait too long before we see you and um, oh yeah the hands must be itchy I, at this stage I'm so much more mature in my approach where I'm like okay like I took some time away from the boxing gym just like a week or so or two weeks you know and then but it's okay because I'm still running I'm still strength training and then yesterday yeah, yesterday I'm like you know what I want to go hit the bag so I went in, I did eight rounds on the bag. I felt great. And I'm like, all right, good. I know when I'll have a camp, I'll have an eight week camp and things will be correct. And I never like gain a lot of weight. I go to 132. If that I'm usually walking around at 128. And, and, you know, I live healthy. I stay hydrated. I eat right. I, I get my rest, you know, I take care of myself. And for me, it's like, I, even being in the gym, you know, I'm here with the team and I'm like, I eat, sleep and breathe this stuff, but I have a lot of balance. You know, I got a lot of balance, but I'm around, you know, all elite people, you know, like it's really the company that I keep and I'm grateful to be around all elite people, you know, with Phil and, and these coaches and these other fighters. And, you know, even Sullivan was training before and he's like, Hey, are you training? And I'm like, not today. I'm doing, I was doing breathing breath work because I've been, um, my neck has been getting really tight because I've been breathing into my neck and not with my ribs. So we have a coach here that specializes in, you know, breath work and, um, you know, connecting us with our lower body and upper body. And so I was just working, I've been working with him the last two weeks. You're so, doing some I of mean, those Loma, Loma tricks under the water, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we do, we do breath holds. Well, I did, um, I used to run, I ran with Lomachenko. I have a picture I can send you to. I ran with Lomachenko a couple times. And, you know, it was so cool for me because he was my pound for pound favorite fighter as well. And, I remember we were running and he started and I was the only female with all these, you know, Olympians, former Olympians or current Olympians. Um, and they turned pro. And then, so I'm all the men from Kazakhstan, Russia, they looked at me like a foreign farm animal first. <laughs> and, then, and then, no, literally, I remember going to the park and they're all looking at me and Cecilia Flores, who I, tra- I trained with was like, this is Maureen Shea. She's a two-time world champion. They all just looked at me like, okay. But you know what? I gained their respect because yeah. I knew I was like, listen, I'm not faster than them. I'm not stronger than them. I'm not younger. Than, I'm, I'm older than them. But I, they can't outwork me. Nobody can outwork me, and and they they respected me for that. And so, um, I would I ran at the park, and I remember Loma led the pack, and I was in the back pacing myself. And then Loma was he lapped me, and I was in that moment right before he lapped me. I was like, man, I'm tired. Like this is because it's hills, it's hard, and it was hot. And I was, and then he lapped me, and I was like. I'm running with my pound for pound favorite fighter. What the hell is wrong with you? And I just took off after that. You know, it was like this, you know, and it, you know, it was inspiring. You know, he was just so, and he's such a kind, I was at his fight when he fought Leonidas. I had ringside seats, like, you know, and I, I went to the after fight party, his private after fight party, where there was like literally 10 people there, you know, and, and I was there with him and I met his dad and very kind, just very good. I, his son would run with us. I mean, no female experienced that. I'm the only one. That's pretty awesome. It you know, is but like awesome. you said, there's a reason. I remember when I reached out to his strength coach, I said, I mean, what can he say? No. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a strength and conditioning coach. And he knew who I was because I was a big name in, in Oxnard, California. I had main evented. I was fighting. You know, I was doing a lot of, I fought on um, Shane Mosley's undercard. And, you know, I had a billboard up of me on the freeway. And so, but I was always very humble. You know, I never expected people to just let me because I'm me. You know, I just said, no, I mean, if it's okay, there's always a chance, but let's see. And he said, yeah, let's meet. And then we met and we talked and then he said, yeah, I'll work with you. Any part we haven't touched on, million dollar baby. And that kind of happened, like I said, I, like it was preparation meeting opportunity. I think it's my size, which was for Hillary. And 
also like whenever I sparred, I never tried to hurt anybody. Like I really worked, you know, I mean, and, and I think that my, you know, Hector, who she was put to, to train with Hector partnered me with her because he knew that he knew that I had self-control and that I knew how to work. And it wasn't like an ego thing that if she got me with a good shot, I wasn't going to retaliate. I believe that's what it was. And, you know, we developed a relationship, a friendship, and, and I really genuinely wanted to see her succeed. Hillary is phenomenal. She oh. looks amazing. She acted amazing. But Clint Eastwood, did you get to work? Did you see much or was that all done in the background? Of course, yeah. I met, actually, it was interesting. When I was at the premiere, Clint came up to me and he said, oh, you know, he knew who I was. Because he, I didn't go to, I couldn't go to... I, but the thing was, for me, I was like, what? Even Liam Neeson. I had I had met Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson watched one of my fights, and he was waiting for me to come out to meet me. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to send you a couple of photos. And I, my mom, he sat and watched me fight with my mom. My mom, my dad were at my fight. And, you know, it was, it was just funny. Like, I just to me, it just always boggled my mind. But when I was at the um, – but he came up to me, and he said, uh, you know, you're very good. You're a very good fighter. And I was just like, okay, like this is Clint Eastwood. Like it was just yeah. surreal. A lot of it was surreal, but I was just so humbled by the whole experience. I think that's, if I may, it's not just that you're talent. It's not just that you're an, a, a vibrant, enthusiastic person. It, I always say yeah. that champions are more than more than the belt. It's more than the title. It's more than the entourage. It champion is a, is a being. It's a something. It's a calling. And I think I think you embellish all of those. And I think it's. Um, It'll be very, very special to be able to see and watch and tell your story because it's, it's. I, I believe it's, it. There is another chapter in this. Like, I have a feeling, Matchroom, where um, I'm under no illusions how Uncle Eddie works. Uh, he has a few tricks that he likes to pull, and he pulls them all the time. And lately, his trick is pulling Mexican opponents in at the last minute. He tried that one with yourself as well, didn't he? Oh yeah, he tried to get me to fight Choi, the the, the 130 pound champ. Hmm. And when they called me, I just I was like, you know, I'm like, no. How about you get me to fight somebody? <laughs> It's the business. I just laugh when, and again, it's like I want to give you an opportunity. <laughs> I'm like, oh, can I fight outside of my weight class in my hometown for shit money? Can I? That's an opportunity. Yeah, oh, please, yeah. I'm like, oh, you're amazing photographs. I'm like, I'm a two-time world champion. Like, you know, like, come on, you know, it, it gets to the point where I'm like, I know it's not personal. He's a nice guy. It's not personal. It's business. But I called him out on his business, and I was like, no. I was like, how about you have to fight somebody that's ranked, you know, that that I'm where I'm rightfully ranked, you know, like whatever. It wasn't going to happen. I'd say Choi wanted a warm up fight or something. With all due respect to Choi, she's a big girl, but I'm better than her. I'm way better than her. Like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? I watched the fight, and God bless her, but she's still young. You know what I mean? And she's not, she's not quite there yet. You know? But I'm like, I'm not. Why am I gonna like? What is the? You know what I mean? Like. Oh, but you could take that fight. You could win. I'm like, you know what, though? It's not about that, though. It's no. about what's right. I'm just not going to sell myself out. That's just not who I am. And there you have it. A fighter knows her worth. A fighter who will fight for everything she's ever got. And a fighter who will continue to fight as long as there's a breath left in her body. You listen to this podcast. You'll know that this boy here doesn't get stuck for words too often. And truthfully... I can't find a word or words that can sum up Maureen Shea. I've tried strong, tough, intelligent, experienced, well-traveled, not enough. To come through what she's come through, to do what she's done, and is still doing. She's effervescent, she's enthused, she's boiling over with with, with a will and a want and a fight. She will search for that next title. And not one bit angry, bitter, 
grizzled from so many knocks and so many wrongs. I've listened and I've edited, I've edited and listened, I've put it together. And just to note as well, the little uh, backtrack, backing track that I use, Billy Joel, for me, is because I, I constantly associate New York with uh, Billy Joel. And I just thought maybe, maybe it'll go well and I hope it does. I want to thank you for taking time to listen to this. I want to thank Maureen and Luigi for giving me the opportunity to tell a little part of their story. I hope the way I've done it and how I've done it manages to do it, the story and the people involved some justice. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to be in your ears. As I said, it's taken a little bit longer. There's a lot going on. It doesn't matter what's going on or what's not because all we've got is time. That's it for me and them until then. Another episode coming in the next couple of days with a fantastic guest. Until then, stay safe. Stay sane, smile, all's well that ends well.